case you're wondering who I am, uh, I'm Van. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at uh, Gulfport and wherever else they want me to do what I do when I do it, and I'm glad for that. And so, you know, let's just kind of get together here and get into the book of James. Now, just to recap uh, what's going on, the book of James was written by James the the brother of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that'd be pretty cool to be the brother of Jesus. I don't know how excited they were. At first, they weren't excited, but then evidently he got very excited because he was one of the main leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And after uh, Jesus was resurrected and ascended and the church was birthed, things b- began to be real good. Growth was taking place, very much excitement. And then the religious community didn't like what was going on, and so persecution hit the church then. And when the persecution hit, the church dispersed, which means they kind of ran. It would be sort of like us having to all leave today and live up, say, in Laurel or maybe in Jackson or somewhere like that. They just were dispersed all in that region, all in the Mediterranean region. And James is writing this book to them. Now, they're Jewish believers because he says that he writes this book to the 12 tribes of Israel that are scattered abroad, so they're, they're everywhere. They're Jewish people who became followers of Jesus, then received persecution and scattered everywhere. And so we're, we're going to realize today that there's a, a big idea. We like to bring a big idea to you so you kind of grab hold to it. So today's big idea is this. Faith in our hearts is evident of the fruit of our lives. I want you to grab a hold of that, that faith in our hearts is evident in the fruit of our lives. In other words, there's proof that there's faith in our heart. I want to read with you in the book of James chapter 2. We're going to read 14 through 20, those verses. If you have your Bible, you can read it on your phone or you can look up on the screens. But this is what James says. He says, what good is it, my brethren or my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Think about James as he goes straight to it. I always love the book of James because I'm the type of person that I like like you to tell me, just like it is, right up in the face, just give it to me so I understand what is being said here. And so here with James, he's sort of that way. He just puts it there. So in verse 14, he says, what good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith and does not have works, can that faith save him? And that's one question. That's a big question. But before we dig into that, We need to clarify to you, whether you're in your living room right now in your car or just sitting in the room right now, we need to clarify something about where does salvation come from, really where does it actually flow from, and and then we're going to take a look at this thing of works that James is trying to teach us on. So we have to clarify where salvation comes from because we are apt as humans, probably everybody in this room at one time or another, and maybe some of you quite often, 
always want to revert back to doing something to gain God's approval, for doing something to be saved. In other words, kind of working ourselves up on a treadmill of performance to where God says, okay, you've reached a certain place. Now you're saved. You can come into the family of God. We want to kind of look at that. Now, if you know your Bibles any, you know that the Apostle Paul wrote a lot about salvation and about faith and about being saved and how's that. He taught a lot about grace and he simply says grace is a big deal. And then you come here and you read James and he's talking about works. And so if you're not careful, you kind of, you kind of think there's a contradiction in the Bible. One guy's saying it, it's about grace and faith and all, the other guy's saying it's about works. But really and truly, rather than being contradictive of one another, they actually are complementing one another when we put the whole word of God together. That's why we need to understand context of the Bible. We need to understand the whole tenet of faith and, and the whole doctrine uh, uh, and theology that we study to where we put it all together and it meshes together in a wonderful way. So salvation is by grace through faith alone. And we'll prove that with the text in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You hear that? We've been created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we have been saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by a mixture of grace and works. You getting that? You're not saved by a mixture of that. And we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. Let me put it this way. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. Very, very important that we get this straight. Otherwise, everything is skewed and, and then we live a legalistic lifestyle that has no joy and no peace and no reward. He's not questioning your salvation. He's just provoking you to good works because of your faith. You see, the thing about Christians, Christians are created for good works. And, and there's, a, there's like a formula, if you would, a, almost like an algebra problem or solution. Watch this. Grace is the source of our salvation. No one can be saved outside of grace, the gift of God. But watch this. Christ is the basis of salvation because the blood that was shed on Calvary is the only thing that will pay for your sins. Blood is the only thing that God required, pure, innocent blood. And then faith is the means of our salvation because grace is God's hand reaching to you. And faith is your hand reaching to God. And when your hand and God's hand, when they meet together, guess what takes place? Conversion. Salvation. The greatest thing that any person will ever, ever experience in all of eternity is the changing of the human heart through conversion to Christ. And then good works are evidence of our salvation, which simply means that good works are acts of obedience to God. Now, Jesus is our teacher, our Lord, our God, the captain of our salvation. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's these wonderful things. He's our counselor. He's everything. He's all in all to us. And so when he speaks to us, we should give heed. Would you agree with that? 
Do you agree with that? Just nod your head. Come on at home, just nod your head. Yes, I agree with you, Pastor, that Jesus is king. And so this is what he says in John 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, that sounds like obedience to me, keeping commandments. Not some harsh list, but if we love God, it makes it easier for, to follow God. Isn't that right? You know, if you love your wife, you, got, you like her, don't you? If, if you? you understand, if you love your husband, marriage is easy. If you really love, you'll, you'll do those things. And so if you love Jesus, obedience to his commands is not a big deal. Now, Jesus goes on to say this in John chapter 15. He says, I want you to abide in me. If you abide in me and I in you, in other words, if you have a living relationship with me, in other words, if you've, been, if you've had an authentic conversion, I'm not talking about conversion to a church. Listen to me. Been a lot of people converted to church lately, but have not been converted to Christ. Being converted to church is religion. Being converted to Christ is everything better than that. He says, if I abide in you and, and, and you abide in me as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. There's this thing of fruit. The Holy Spirit in you bears fruit. There's things that happen. And, and if I don't see works or fruit in my life, if, if there's nothing going on in my life, it might be an indictment on my relationship with the Holy Spirit. It might be an indictment on my faith. It might have something to do. No, where something might be cockeyed. Something just might not be operating the way it should operate. Or maybe it's just distraction. You know, we live in a world of distraction. There are so many kinds. And I believe this. I believe that distractions mess with our priorities. I believe they do. And sometimes we think that the more distractions we have in our life, the more things we have going in our life, the better life is. You know, we got soccer. We got violin practice. We got military practice. We got this. We got this school activity. We got this, we got this hobby. We go in here. We go in there. We're doing this. And we, we're so spread out and everything that our priorities get kind of mixed up. And, and look, it's not hard for us to do that. Am I right? It's not hard for our priorities to really get messed around. The cares of this world, they seek in. They, 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 they tend to steer us in different directions. Now, I don't know where you, where you are in the spectrum of where we are so far. I don't know what's going on with you. I, I don't know. But, but I know this, that we all have to ask this question. And the question is, do I see fruit in my life? Is there fruit coming out of my life? What works is my faith producing? What's happening in my life? Let's pray together right now. Let's just believe the Lord. Father, we open up our hearts to you right now the best we know how. We honor your presence in this room, in our homes. We thank you for loving us and caring for us, for changing us and for the opportunity to serve you. And we pray, Lord God, that the eyes of our understanding would truly be open today, that we could examine our faith, examine who we are in you, Lord, and that you would speak a word in our hearts as individuals. Deal with us today, Father, in Jesus' name.
thank you for it. Amen and amen. So what a works. What a works. And here we go. What a works. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Give me that list. I've got to have that list. If you'll just give me that list right now, I'll be all right. You see, that's what I grew up in. I grew up in a, a listed religion. Certain things that I needed to do to, to make sure that I was all right with God. And when I did those things, I would check the list. But outside of the list, I just did my own thing. A list is different than a relationship. So here we go. You ready? James chapter 2, verse 15. So James, he's contemplating this. He's, he's talking to people just like you and I. And so he says this. He says, if. It's a hypothetical question, but it may be a very realistic situation. He says, if. If a brother or a sister. And I want to stop there. Brother or sister means the church. A brother or a sister in Christ. So if a brother or a sister in the church is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Sort of like a blessing. Maybe used to say that. I mean, it's like, hey, peace to you. Be filled. Be filled with the spirit. Or be filled with food. Be filled. Have the abundant life. Hey, good to see you. Check you later. Everything's cool. I'm doing great. Sort of like that. But he says, if you say that without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Now, remember, these people have been dispersed. It's like if we all in this room had to pack up today at 1 p.m. with just what we have on our back, a little bit of food in the car, and we all had to move into different areas north of here, maybe into the Memphis area or, or into the mountains of Tennessee. And we're in small groups together, maybe 40 here, 50 there, 100 here. And we've left our jobs. We've left our money. We don't have access to anything. Persecution is strong. Do you think we would get closely together? Do you think we would know the needs of what are going on in people's lives? And, and don't you know that if you had enough food for your day, but you saw somebody with no food, what would you do? That's what, that's what James is saying here. And he's saying if you just say peace be filled, but you have the means to help them and you don't, he said, what good is this? Acts of mercy. He's talking about mercy. Now, what he's not talking about, I think I, I, can, I couldn't qualify this. He's not talking about helping somebody pay their car note after they went on a $2,000 vacation. You say, has that ever happened? Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. One week here in the vacation, basking in the sun. It's a wonderful place here. And the next week is pastor. Uh, we can't pay the car note. And so it takes wisdom when you're, when you're going to help somebody inside the church, even outside the church. It takes wisdom. Benevolence has been the number one most, one, one of the hardest things that I've ever done as a pastor is deal with benevolence. Who to help, when to help, how to help. I, I've, I've had trouble finding the real poor, being quite honest with you. It, it's, it's just been a, a thing, a constant tension, and still is today, by the way. And so we need discernment. We need to give with discernment and wisdom, and uh, we'll get a good reward for that. Now, now, Jesus, in the book of Matthew chapter 25, this is what he said, and you can read it on your own in, in, in all the context, but it says in the end when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring the nations before him. I don't know how he's going to do that, but he's going to do that. 
and he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. Now, these are not really sheep and goats. They're people. They're nations. But he's going to separate the, the sheep are going to be on his right side, and the goats are going to be on his left side. Now, I don't believe he was making a political statement there. I'm just quoting Scripture. Jesus said, I'm putting the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Some of you, I just lost. There it is right there. You, you just said, that's it. I know his political stand. And no, you don't. You don't know. I'm not going to tell you either. But anyway, and he says, he begins to tell them, he said, uh, uh, you on, on the right, I want you to enter into the, the blessed kingdom. It's all yours. Come on in. And he says, the reason why is because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me water. I was sick and you visited me. I was in jail. I was naked. You gave me clothes. He gives all these reasons why. And the people, the sheep, the people on the, on the, on the right, they say, well, Jesus, when did we do this? I think that's just so wonderful that they, they said, well, when, when we, don't, we weren't even thinking when we were doing it. When did we? And he says, well, what you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done to me. Now, that's a principle that you need to understand, that how you treat people, especially people in the church, how you treat them is how you treat Jesus. Because Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was once named Saul, and Saul was a persecutor of the church, and Saul was going around wreaking havoc and putting people in prison and doing all sorts of evil things. And, and one day he decided he was going to go to a bigger city. He's going to wreak havoc there with Christians. And on his way to that city of Damascus, he meets Jesus. Jesus knocks him down, and Jesus speaks to him and says these words. He says, Saul, Saul, he called his name twice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't it amazing? I mean, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father in glory and power, undefeated, and he tells Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because Saul was persecuting the church. So what Jesus is saying is when you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. How you treat the church is how you treat me. How you treat that person behind you, in front of you, while you sit in this room right now, how you treat them is how you treat Jesus. And when he says, my brothers, the least of my brethren, Jesus was teaching one day and they came in and said, your mother and your brothers, they're all outside, they want to talk to you. And he turned and he said, who is my mother and who is my brother? And then he pointed to the people in the room and he said, those that do the will of my father in heaven, they are the ones who are my brothers, my sisters, my mother. I just love the way Jesus just clarifies everything and takes us out of the carnal lifestyle and puts us into a heavenly mindset. Being converted converts us from a worldly worldview to a heavenly worldview, to a much wider vision of what is going on in this world and in eternity. The kingdom is much bigger than this world. I love the kingdom of God, and I'm not putting a lot of faith in this world. How about you? As you get older, you'll find that out. There's not much going on. <clears throat> Serving others is always a work of people. But it's not always a work of the corporate church. Somehow or another, something has transpired here, and that is call the pastor or call the church. Call the secretary of the church. 
And then she will get you through the channels that will get things done. But I have found something really, really cool. I have found that mercy and faith and love and serving and works is so expressed through the small groups that I am absolutely 100% convinced that that's the way that Jesus wanted us to do it. Amen? Now, let me, tell you, let me tell you why I say that. Because in 1993, about somewhere around there, we started small groups in the church. We had Sunday school class. I would get up and I would teach for an hour in Sunday school, and then we would break 15 minutes, and I'd teach an hour on Sunday morning, and then we'd take a break, and we'd come back Sunday night, and I'd teach an hour on Sunday night, and then we'd take two days because we couldn't make it through the whole week, and Wednesday night we'd come and I'd teach an hour there, and we would do these things. And then finally we went into small groups, and I remember the first day we visited small groups. We had four in the Sunday school hour. We sat down in a chair, and when we left that room, I told Jan, I said, this is the way that church is supposed to be. Because I saw regular people, come on now, regular people serving and teaching and sharing Christ with people. And I see it still today, all these many years later. This Tuesday night, we'll meet with our small group. I'm looking at some of you who are in our small group right now, and we have found it to work. Look, when things need being done in our small group, I don't call Pastor Jordan. Although he's my son, I could call him anytime I want. But I'm Pastor Jordan, and we got this situation in our small group. I'm wondering if you could help. No, we put the situation right out in the small group, and guess what? You need food, you got food. You're going to need some help, you got help. You need transportation, you got transportation. We don't need to go all over the church. We got it right there. And guess what? It works. It works so wonderfully. So if you're not in a small group, you need to go ahead and get in one because this is what pastor teaches us constantly, that if you're not in a small group, it's hard to guarantee you pastoral care because no one knows you. Who are you? Who do you know? Who knows you? How are we attached? Is there a relationship or is it just an event once a week? So I encourage you, get into a small group. John chapter, 1 John chapter 3 says this, but by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So powerful, deed and truth. So is my faith dead? 17th verse of chapter 2 of James. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So the challenge is very simple. Your faith, you have faith, you have works. This challenge, this tension, here it is. So, so what does dead faith look like? If he says your faith is dead, what does dead faith look like? Well, I think dead faith looks like a stagnant faith that isn't moving. I think it's dead faith is all talk and no action. I think dead faith is, is not from the heart. I think dead faith is stifled by fear. And I think dead faith could even be lazy and selfish faith. And, and, but, but, but you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor, wait a minute. You know, you're across the line on that one because I believe I am a believer. Well, James 
entertains that in the 19th verse when he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So demons believe. They're not atheists. They're not agnostic. They believe. They were with Jesus. They understand Jesus. So you can compare your faith to the faith of demons. And I mean, they knew because Jesus walked into the synagogue one day and a man ran in and said, who are you, the Holy One of God? And then when Jesus got out of the boat on the Gadarean shoreline and the man who was cutting himself and chained in the tombs who had legions of demons in him, he shouted out and the demons shouted out through this man and said, who are you? Have you come to torment us before our time? Have you, what, what are you doing here, Jesus? Our time's not up yet. And so he gave them leave and he sent them into a bunch of pigs. You know, and, and then Paul and them are walking around ministering and this woman is, is walking behind them full of a demon and saying, these are men of the most high God. They know, demons know what's going on. They believe. You see, faith is more than knowing something in your mind. It, it, it's, you you got to understand this. Watch this statement. Faith in our hearts is evident of the fruit in our lives. That's what it is. Now, faith is not intellectual assent. Faith is not having mental assent. It's not just in the mind. Real faith is in the heart. The demons believe in shudder. They, they, they believed. Uh, you know, even, watch this. Even the Jewish people would recite the Shema at least twice a day out of Deuteronomy and out of Numbers, where it, where it says, the Lord our God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, and you shall teach these to your children when you lay down, when you rise up, when you walk around town. Twice a day, they would, they would speak this. Our God is one God. Satan himself, tempting Jesus, used the Scripture. Jesus, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down over here. Don't, don't you worry about it, Jesus, because the word says that it is written that the angels shall take charge over you, and you're not going to dash your foot upon a rock. All these things were happening because faith is not an intellectual assent. It's something that is truly converting of the human heart into a totally brand-new creation. Not some old renovation of your old self, but something that has never existed before. That's what Christianity is. Faith is more than knowing something in your mind. It's really knowing something deep inside of you that moves you to action. I know you're waiting for the list, but I'm not going to give you the list. You're waiting for those three takeaways. Well, here they are. You just heard one. The next one is faith is not simply an emotional response. The demons shudder. Why? Because they're emotional. I mean, shuddering is emotional. You say, well, I'm not going to shudder like a demon. Oh, I got chill bumps. Oh, that song. Every time I sing that song, I, just, I get the chill bumps. Oh, pastors, man, when he said that, I just, something inside of me said, yes, I'm, I'm going for it. Or I weep. I cry. I remember the first time ever I heard Amazing Grace sing in a church. 41 years ago, I, 
It's about on the ninth row there. I was just standing there, and we started singing that song, and I just began to weep, just weep, emotional, weep. But I'll tell you something right now. The reason I was weeping is because I had experienced amazing grace. I really did experience that. And it was so amazing that it moved me to emotions. Emotions kind of get you going, just doesn't keep you going. Have you ever been moved that way? Have you ever been moved to where you can say, Lord, I'm selling out 100%. Here I go, Lord. And then when you leave the building, get in the car, it's like, it's not there anymore. How many of you have ever done that? I've done that 150 times, maybe 500 times. I'm going to take the world by storm until I get outside in the sunshine, and then I'm going fishing. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's not simple emotion. You cannot put your faith in your emotions. Emotions are not works, and intentions are not works. Number three, faith involves willful obedience. What you know or what you feel is not an indication of your faith. Your faith is measured by what you do. Your faith is measured by obedience. Isn't it amazing that, that it all boils down to that, that my faith is just connecting myself to God, embracing him and what he says? In, in 1 Corinthians 15, this will be our last verse, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. It wasn't empty. On the contrary, I worked. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He said, I worked. That word work means I worked to the point of exhaustion to the point of absolute fatigue in the gospel. He said, I worked harder. I worked super abundantly. He said, I went after it with everything that I had, but yet it wasn't me. It was the grace of God working in me. You know, Jan and I got saved. It'll be 41 years uh, in a few weeks. We got saved and everything changed. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, hey, this is my testimony from death to life. Everything changed. I remember the first question I asked as a, as a new believer. First thing that ever came out of my mouth after we got off of our living room floor, two people that led us to Jesus. My first question was, do they teach the Bible at your church? Notice, I said, do they teach the Bible at your church? Because I didn't understand that they is actually me and it's my church, not just their church. He said, yes, we do. I said, we'll be there Sunday. We walked into that church. First Sunday there, we put our, our two-year-old kid in the nursery. We didn't think. We just trusted Carrie sitting right here. Just, there you go over here. <laughs> she went. She survived it. And I sat down. I began to hear the word of God. I even asked the man on the side of me. I said, how long has this been going on? How long has people been standing in the front of the room sharing the Bible? He said, a long time, Van, a long time. We stayed there about three months, and then we ended up in a church closer to our home. I remember the first day we walked in the new church. 
the Holy Spirit spoke to Jan and I that we were home. He just said that. Some of you, that's happened to you. You're home. This is it. And I remember seeing my pastor. I didn't know he was the pastor, but he seemed like he probably was one of the big guys there because he was in the back and people were talking to him. And I remember walking up to him and meeting him, Brother Ed, and I shook his hand. And, and the craziest thing, the first thing I said to him was, is there anything I can do around here? Can I, I want, I pick up limbs. I, is there anything I can do? I'm sure he thought I was just a nut coming because most people, when they say that, they like, but I said it. And I can remember the first work day that I, they, they announced it. We're doing a work day Saturday. We, we're building something. So, well, I don't know how to build anything. I mean, I'm an office worker. I'm a city slicker. I don't know anything about that. But I went. And I remember holding a board for a skilled man to cut it on an angle. And I'd never been so fulfilled in my whole life. I never felt such worth and such camaraderie and such depth and realness of life. I mean, I was handling $4 million a month with the company I work for. And yet here I am holding a board for Jesus and everything dwarfed in that moment. And I'm nobody. I was just a high school graduate, just a young guy got saved. But I'm telling you what, when you get converted, the life of God comes inside of you. The vision of God, the kingdom of God reigns inside of you. And it wants to do something in this world. And every time I heard about something, I just was a church. We became a church family. We, before we heard a sermon about faithfulness, before we knew about it, look, before, before we were taught, we were doing it before. We were like the people on the, on the right who said, Jesus, when did we feed you? And I know we need teaching, and I'm teaching right now, but I'll tell you something. If you, if you ain't got the goods up in here, all the teaching in the world will do nothing but make you harder. But when you've got the goods in here, the hardest teaching is sweet. You understand? So, faith in our heart is evident in the fruit of our lives. To sum it up, folks, it's just about lordship. One day Jesus said to a bunch of people, he said, why do you call me Lord? Why do you say Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Scriptures like that just permeate and penetrate me. I guess that would be a good question that Jesus might be asking you today. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Paul in Hebrews says that we're to meet together. Don't forsake assembling ourselves together. And we're to provoke one another to good works. That's where faith is. Faith is action. Would you close your eyes right where you are? Just nobody moving around, nothing like that. Just, just close your eyes for just a moment. And let the Holy Spirit just, let him just go through your, your heart like a filter. Just examine yourself. Is my faith active? 
Is my faith producing something? Or have I just become a stagnated consumer? And wherever you find yourself on the spectrum, let's pray together. These are believers. You're believers. Come on, just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm here. I belong to you. Examine my heart. Examine my life. And speak to me what I need to hear about my life, about my faith, about my works, about the fruit of my life. I want to hear your voice. Tell the Lord you want to hear his voice. You just want to to be able to hear him so that you get it really correct. And I thank you. Father, I thank you for speaking to your church. I thank you, Lord God, that you're lovingly embracing us for examination. And then you're going to grace us like Paul. The grace of God will work inside of us. And we thank you for that. Now, you who are just praying, when you leave here, take time today to let the Lord speak to you. He wants to speak to you. And then for you who are in this room, and maybe you're watching online, you just caught the, the broadcast and you're just realizing that you've never truly been converted to Christ. Maybe to a religion, maybe to a church house of some kind, but a heart conversion to Christ. And it, I want to pray with you, just like somebody prayed with me 41 years ago, a simple prayer to a very complex, perfect God, a simple prayer from a person who has no hope outside of Jesus Christ. If you're in here and you need a relationship with God that's real, you need to be converted to Christ. Pray with me a simple prayer. Father, forgive me because I am a sinner. I've violated your principles, your heart, God. I've not lived for you. I've lived for myself. So I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to come live inside of my life by your Holy Spirit. Change me into a brand new person today. I believe you. My faith is in the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed there. And I thank you right now that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus for all of eternity. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. Let's give Jesus a hand clap. Let's give him praise. Let's give him thanksgiving. Come on. Come on, Pastor Casey. What a great message. Thank you, Pastor Van. Such gravity there. Let's give it up for Pastor Van. Man. Come on, you can do better than that. You know, everybody has to experience that moment. And if that was your moment, we love you. All of heaven rejoices over the decision you just made. And here at Northwood Church, we want you to be a part of what's going on here. We want to reach out to you. We want to help you take your next steps and what that looks like. And the way we do that here, there's a next steps card right there in the seat pocket in front of you. If you just take that card, fill it out, we're going to reach out to you this week. Drop it off in the next steps area in the rear of the auditorium. And somebody's going to connect with you. If you're watching online right now, 
next steps forward slash next steps right there on our URL. You see it. We want to connect with you. We've been praying for you, and we love you, and we're so excited for you. Really, we are, and we know that this is the brand new beginning, and you need a family, like Pastor Van said, to encourage you as you continue forward in faith. One more time, church, let's give it up for those who prayed that prayer. Yeah, we're excited. It's awesome. Got a couple things I want to talk to you about. If you prayed the prayer, if you're here and you have a need in your life, we have some prayer partners that are going to be up here at the end of the service. Make your way up. Get some prayer. We still believe that God does miracles, and this is a great group of people that you can come and pray with. Also, there's a few ways to give here at Northwood Church. You can give online. You can give by mailing in your check. But it's faithful givers year after year after year that, that, that helps the gospel be fueled all over the world and even right here in our community. And so we're thankful. Just if, that's, if, if, if you've been giving for a long time, we want to thank you. I know we're giving to God, but it's a great thing to partner together with God. I remember the first time I gave, I thought, man, this is incredible. This is way better than the stock market. That's just the way my brain worked when I got saved. I said, man, there is a return on my investment, and it's in, it's in heaven. So thank you for giving. You know, we have a cool thing coming up right here in the city of Gulfport that you can be a part of. It's a Gulfport cleanup day. Uh, the city does it, you know, once a year. And we actually have our missions director, Rob, right here in the rear of the auditorium. He's back there at the missions table. If you never met our missions director, today would be a good day to do it. If you want to sign up for the cleanup day, you can go back to that table. He'll give you more details. We also have a serve shirt for you, and uh, you can pick that up. We, we do different serve opportunities from time to time throughout the year. So go ahead and make your way back there, and it's going to be good. Also, food truck Sunday next week. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, you guys are, yeah, come on. Yeah, we're going to get out there and hang out. It's going to be better than, you know, the old school. It's not your Tupperware dish. We're a big family. We get to hang out, bring your kids. We're hoping the weather's just like it is today. <laughs> you know how it is when you schedule something outside, you're watching that weather up to the hour. But we hope it's a beautiful day. We're going to be in the back of this parcel of land back there. We've got a big parking lot, man. We're just going to have a great time. Bring the kids out and bring some lawn chairs, man. Let's hang out right? Next Sunday. So you don't want to miss that. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Again, we love you guys. It's going to be a great week today. Let me pray for you, Father. We are thankful for this message. God, seal it in our hearts, God. As we go out today, God, we pray that you would enlighten us, God, and that you would move us so that we're able to serve you as we serve people, God. We thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to be in your kingdom in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. We love you guys. You're dismissed. We'll see you soon.